Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to the show. Today's guest is Jason Williams from Morgan Creek Digital. Uh, I want to get straight into this one because, um, you know, we go for about uh, an hour and a half, hour and 40 minutes, and uh, it was all pure gold. You know, I didn't know what to expect coming into this one. I was put in touch with with Jason via uh, like the the latest meme machine on Twitter, at uh, Ryan Draycott, who is doing some great stuff on Twitter with memes. And um, he put me in touch with uh, with Jason. Ryan's a listener of the show. And I was more than happy to, to jump on a call with him, having followed Jason for a while on Twitter. Yeah, I had some interesting tangents and conversations that we had, um, as usual, led by Lauren, which leads us down like a, a random path to begin with. I'm really starting to appreciate that that part of the show. So I hope you enjoy it. And um, thanks, as always, for listening. And don't forget to to head over to coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bitten if you're based in the UK or if you have access to the UK banking system to go start your stacking sats journey. Thanks for listening, guys, as always. And um, yeah, I'll catch up with you after the show for the final comments. Hey guys, welcome to today's show. And with me today is Jason Williams from uh, Morgan Creek Digital. Jason, thanks so much for taking the time in your Manchester United full strip. I hope it's not just a, it's not just a shirt. <laughs> it's just the long uh, long sleeve Pogba shirt, but I, I don't yeah. have a full kit on. Uh, <laughs> I wish I did. Oh, that's a shame. Well, as you can hear, listeners, Lauren's here, and um, she's assured me she's remembered for the first time yeah. her, her question. Okay, okay, fire away. Why did you leave your famous university? Ooh, that's a very good question, and I appreciate you doing a little research. Um, well, uh, the famous university I left was Yale University, and I had, I had pretty much my whole life aspired to go to one of these Ivy League schools. Um, and when I got there, I was studying medicine, and I was so moved by an idea to change healthcare here in the United States that I couldn't wait to graduate. I called my mom and I told her I was gonna drop out of school and start my idea, which she wasn't very happy about, but it worked out. Yeah, it worked out. Everything worked out just fine, thankfully. But yeah, she wasn't happy, mm -mm, not at all. Okay, because it must have cost a lot of money. <laughs> So that's why you should buy Bitcoin. <laughs> she, yeah, she had invested a lot of money. That's true. It could have gone badly, but it turned out okay for me. Uh, there's a few of us that dropped out of pretty good universities and did okay for ourselves. So, um, yeah. yeah not, but uh, what a good question. She's good. Oh, and and uh, sorry to break it to you, but my dad tells me, about the guy, so that's how I make up the questions. I don't do the research. <laughs> he just—it's okay. It's sort of doing research. There was a discussion or something. You know, you yeah. just didn't wing it. Yeah. You just didn't yeah. wing yeah. it. And I appreciate that. It's very kind of you. Very smart. Very very smart. Do, we, do you want to say good night? Yeah, I need to, I need to go to bed. Time. <laughs> Bye and good night. Right. Mm -mm. Bye bye. Good night. <laughs> <laughs> that's so great. So 
Yeah, I, I picked up on that on um, one of your earlier episodes. Uh, I can't remember exactly who you were you're speaking with, but you told that story and it resonated um, a lot with, um, you know, what's going on right now with COVID and people being at home and, um, you know, forced into the situation of schooling from home in air quotes. And like, I know people that listen to my show, they know I beat the drum around um, homeschooling and world schooling and, and alternative education and removing um, education from state. And I think we could get down a really deep rabbit hole pretty quickly if um, if you want to go there. Three or four months ago, I tweeted um, something like this. When will parents realize that their kids can complete the eight hours of school that they're doing in three hours? and have a richer experience, more time with family, you know, all of the things by just doing remote homeschooling. You know, when will we realize that? And I think a lot of parents have. I think that in these three or four months that we've gone through this great kind of adversity or whatever you want to call it, um, everything's going to change in terms of, you know, whether it's your primary education advanced degrees, online education, um, the way it, the fee structures around it, all of that will change. And it's, um, I think it's, it's a change for the better. I think it's exposed a lot of inefficiencies, uh, costs, uh, all, all kinds of, uh, of stuff. So, yeah. And if we can like, just hear a little bit of your backstory, um, you touched on it with Lauren. Um, you know, you, you did, you did all the things, right? You, you, you chased the dream. Um, you got the grades, uh, you, you got into Yale, you're ticking, man, you are ticking these boxes, like with solid ticks. Yeah. Look, I, I, as a young, a young kid growing up in poverty, the only, the, 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 the drum that my mother beat was you have to go to college. It's your escape from this oppressive poverty that you've seen. And I took the Kool-Aid, not just the glass of it, but the whole, you know, liter container and just chugged it. You know, I'm in. I have to go get a great education if I'm going to get out of here. And um, and that's I, I that's what, you know, I was made to believe. So I uh, went, did my undergraduate degree, got my master's degree, went and got a a high level technical degree as a physician assistant, pursued my PhD, you know, all of those things. And um, I'm not so sold that that's was that that was like necessary. Um, and that's something we can discuss. Like, I'm, I'm just not a huge fan of 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 higher degrees right now. But um, obviously, your primary or high school, elementary school, those the the kind of cornerstones of your education, super critical. You've got to go all out, and um, whether that happens in a private institution, public schools, or homeschool, um, you know, I have uh, I have a pretty I have a lot of conviction um, about you know which which path we chose as parents, but uh, you know, it's um, the higher education thing. Uh, is tricky for me. Um, and I'm not such a big supporter of, of going off to college. I mean, what, what do you think about that? <laughs> I think it's nonsense. I, th I think it's a fool's errand. I think it's four years wasted of a young person's life. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, unless you're going for a technical degree, right? If you want to be in, you know, AC repairman, electrician, a physician, all of those things, I, I kind of throw up as you have to have a license to do it. There's a certain amount of technical stuff. Go get the, if, if that's what you aspire to do, go do it. Um, but a lot of it's a trap. And uh, I know more physicians than I know not. Uh, that hate what they're doing and, you know, had this dream of changing the world and they got into this machine of heavy debt, being underpaid, under-resourced, and it, it's, it, it's been a disaster for them. And it's, uh, it's a really sad thing because when you've spent 38 years of your life going to school to become a urologist and then you are a urologist, you can't just wake up one day and say, I'm, I'm not going to be a urologist anymore. It just doesn't work. Too much debt, you got the house, you got the family, you got the car, you're just so pregnant with that lifestyle, you can't retrade it and, and say, oh, I'm gonna lead a, a minimalist life, give up, you know, the three hundred dollars an hour, whatever that I'm making, and um, and kind of back up a little bit and do something different. It just doesn't work like that. Yeah, it's uh I mean yeah, we, we can come back to this, but I do want to ask you, if you don't mind, if it's if it's not too personal. But, uh, you know, you, you, you mentioned um, growing up in poverty, and um, I just wonder what that looked like. Uh, you know, do you mind telling that story? Or? Yeah, not, not at all. So I don't believe anyone in uh, my family up until me uh, ever went to college or graduated college. So immigrant family, mother's from Sicily, uh, my father's from Manchester, England, and then his father... Uh, is Jamaican actually, so they they uh, not just not a um, not a lot of resources, but hard workers. So I, I don't want to take uh, away from that. Uh, my father left when I was first born, um, so I don't really have a relationship with him to this day. Uh, I've only um, really communicated with him a handful of times, but my mother's been kind of a cornerstone in my life. Um, and she worked in our family businesses, I think typical immigrant businesses. We owned a, uh, a bar called Lorenzo's Bar in Queens, New York, and a pizzeria, Lorenzo's Pizza. I can keep going on about the different Lorenzo uh, kind of uh, background. I have my dad's last name, Williams. Uh, but uh, yeah, it was just a house full of love, but not a lot. One bedroom apartment in Queens. My mother you know, worked nights as a bartender. And, um, and aspired to be a beautician, like a hairdresser, and eventually uh, got her, her license. Um, and she does that to this day. Um, she's a sweet woman. Um, but that, that's really what it looked like. I went to PS33, Public School System 33 uh, in New York, um, and a, a, a product of public school, uh, and was fortunate enough to uh, love soccer and, um, and go to college to play sports. Man, so and wasn't a great student, by the way. Like I, I didn't really. Uh, I, I don't even want to say school was easy for me. I did enough to get decent grades, but I, I just wanted to play sports. I played baseball and soccer, and that's really all I cared about. So, at one point, I was off to Canada and played uh, played for the major bantams uh, in my senior year of high school. I, I really didn't even want to go to college. I was hoping that that could turn into a pro career. Uh, I was just all over the place, really all over the place, but only really focused on sports. 
So how did Yale rear its head? How did that story come to be? Finished my undergraduate, learned how to learn, had some really important mentors uh, along the way in college, read some books that like hit home, uh, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People by Stephen Covey, uh, The Road Less Traveled by Scott Peck. I think these are books that came out around the time I was in college. Uh, Zen and the Art of Motorcycle Maintenance. Like these are just books that kind of hit me. And then I started to read biographies, um, had, again, some really powerful mentors. They started a PA program um, my senior year uh, of college, uh, physician assistant program. I was accepted to that program as one of four students. Uh, It was pre-accredited. So it was like they were risking a lot on my acceptance. I was risking a lot by going into a a, a program that was had pre-accreditation uh, it was a wonderful experience, uh, two-year program. I graduated, school uh, was accredited, and uh, I was the first, I believe, uh, student from my university to be accepted to Yale University uh, for kind of postgraduate stuff, which was pretty cool. I, I can't even tell you like how that happened. I think it's a culmination of real focus, Um, getting serious about my education, having the right mentors, having these paradigm shifts and desire all align. And, um, and then a lot of hustle too. Like I I know how I got into Yale. I went, uh, the Christmas before I graduated from PA school, drove to New Haven and spent two weeks there on my own dime, on my own time, scrubbing into surgical cases to get one physician to get to know me that was on staff at the hospital and write me a letter of recommendation into the program. And I was able to pull that off. It was a Dr. Flock, he was a general surgeon, and he wrote me a letter of, um, of recommendation. So I, you know, again, it was like a strategy that I didn't come up with. Someone told me, to do this. And I just did it. Like, I'm not the smartest guy in the world. And I hate to be cliche, but sometimes you got to work hard and you have to take risks. And, and I did that and and it paid off for me. You know, uh, I was one of 13 students that was accepted into that surgical residency program at Yale. Man, I loved that. Like life hacks is just that they're so underrated. People want to bet on an underdog, you know, they do want to see people who don't have like the straight A's from an academic family, blue blood pedigree. You know what I'm saying? Like they, they kind of look and they say, well, wait a minute, look at this mutt. It's an interesting dog. You know, let, let, let's take him home. That happens. And you just got to put yourself out there uh, and not buy into all of these dumb limitations that we put on ourselves like we put on ourselves a lot of it we say we're not good enough and then we ask our family are we good enough and the family says no you're not good enough then we turn to our friends hey am i good enough no you're not good enough like everyone is feeding you this garbage you know you just have to say enough i am good enough i'm gonna cut out these losers that are around me And sometimes it's really hard because some of them are family members, like toxic family members. You just have to not accept it and move away 
and and it's amazing what you can do. And that was your tweet tonight, like an hour before we got on this call. And I saw that and I'm like, man, that's just, and you're putting out a, a lot of this kind of, I don't want to use, it's a bit cliche, it's like motivational kind of stuff, but it, you know, you, you're definitely pumping people's wheels up. But I bounce around, like I, I am feeling tremendous despair right now. And, mm-hmm. and I'm just sharing that with people. I'm, I feel I'm disappointed in, in people's behavior. I'm disappointed with the lack of love and compassion that this world is expressing right now. There's so much anger. I mean, so much anger. It's hard for, it's hard for me to even um, think through it. I spend a lot of time like thinking about what's happening. Why are people behaving the way they are? And I'm having trouble arriving at conclusions like, and how do you fix this stuff? So oftentimes the solutions come easy. Uh, you know, you step back, you have a cup of coffee, you say, well, this is how I'd fix this. I'm not able to fix these things in my mind, let alone in society. And I'm, I feel there's a lack of hope, a lack of intelligence, a lack of communication, a lack of compassion. Uh, so many things like this are converging and it's not good. Um, so I, I feel there's a lot of power in one like one person actually does have a lot of power. And if, if I have 40,000 people that are interested in these like little mind blurps that I'm shooting out, I'm going to keep shooting out, you know, and I'm not going to block people who don't appreciate what I'm saying um, because maybe it'll have some effect on someone. Cause I, I'm really trying to be transparent and authentic. This is not BS. Um, if I'm buying Bitcoin, I'm buying it. I'm, it's not the fund. It's my money. If I sell Bitcoin, I'm going to post it. So don't worry about that. And if it looks crazy, like how is this guy buying $100,000 a Bitcoin? $100,000 a Bitcoin. How is he buying another $100,000 a Bitcoin? I'm doing it. If I can sell my sneakers right now and buy some Bitcoin on that dip, I would sell them. Like I'm, I have that much conviction behind it. Man, that's <laughs> all right. We can definitely get down the Bitcoin rabbit hole, but before we do, I want to. Um, I just want to ask you another question about. Um, again, if it's too personal, please, please let me know. But you, um, you know, you mentioned, um, you know, the struggles you went through uh, growing up in Queens. You definitely don't have one of those accents, by the way. You've managed to, <laughs> you've managed to shake that off, <laughs> right? Your mum must have been like the proudest lady on the planet when you were accepted to Yale. How did you come to terms with then walking away from all of that? Because that must have weighed on your mind a great deal. Yeah, I mean, it was it, it was a decision that did not come uh, from a lack of real intense thought and contemplation. And that that same physician that gave me the recommendation uh, to Yale was the physician that I pitched my idea to. And he was the one who said, great ideas don't happen very frequently. You know, people don't arrive at these kind of real innovative moments. And he said, Jason, you are in the right position at the right time with the right idea. And, if, and you should take action and go do it. He was the one who told me, um, and I, I just, I called my mom and said, look, 
this is going to sound crazy. I'm going to drop out of Yale. I'm going to move back to North Carolina. I'm going to buy a post office and start this, uh, this concept of, of ambulatory care clinics uh, that are staffed by physician assistants and do 80% of what you'd find in an emergency room. And, uh, and I did it. I, I just, uh, you know, again, thank goodness I did that. And I didn't go down the track of more debt, um, more time spent, and locking myself into a career that, uh, you know, look, I'm I'm still compelled to to the healthcare space and to do things in healthcare, but not in that capacity. What I've found is I can amplify all of the efforts and all of the ideas and the creativeness that I want to pour into uh, this space or this healthcare kind of gig by building really great teams of people that share my vision and uh, share the passion that I have for what we're doing and just amplify it. So what was 40 patients I could see a day becomes 4,000 patients we can see a day. And and that was really, that, that's really what drives me now. It's like, how do I get a good idea? How do I build a great team? How do I get that team to buy into the culture that, uh, that I know, um, is needed to pull this off and then, and then just go nuts, raise capital and execute. Cool, man. I just want to dwell on one word. And the reason I want to do that is if there are any young listeners out there, they're, you know, they might be at college, they might be listening to these, um, these podcasts and, and thinking about the world and, you know, what is Bitcoin and, you know, whatever else and what the choices that, you know, that are ahead of them. You just said, um, you know, it took you a long time to come to this decision, right? A lot of sleepless nights, a lot of soul searching, a lot of, you know, asking trusted friends, trusted family, your mentor and everything. But that still gets labeled with dropout. And I think that's bullshit. That's the wrong. That, so people might be in your position where you were 10, 15 years ago, whatever it was, but they've got this, this horrible neon sign, like imagined above their head, is saying drop out instead of opt out or whatever it is, you know? Well, you know, I'll tell you this and, and hope, uh, let's see if I can make this make sense. I think people have different motivations in their lives and some people are externally motivated, motivated by material possessions, material or by financial uh, things. Sometimes they're motivated by trophies or you're internally motivated. And that internal motivation to me is the most powerful motivation that you can actually muster. And when you start to get your internal motivation mojo flowing, when it's really going well, you start to spin bad things that have happened in your life. And they, they become moments of like conviction and, and a testimonial of your intensity and ability to succeed and overcome adversity. And you don't mind sharing them. So I appreciate like when you say it, I'd like to ask you a question, but it may be too personal to ask. There's really nothing that's too personal at this point of my life because the real bad stuff, the stuff that you would say, oh, you're a college dropout, you know, you didn't really follow through on your, uh, your education or your poor kid from Queens, dad kind of left you, you know, blah, blah, blah. All of that stuff to me 
they're kind of foundations of who I am today. And they really are things I rely on to make decisions that I make every day. You walk into my house right now, there's a picture of the apartment that I grew up in Queens right on the wall when you walk in the door. And I look at it every day. I look at it every day when I walk in my house. I don't want to go back there. I don't want to be there. I remember what it was like, you know, being wealthy, like mentally, spiritually, professionally, physically, was my escape mechanism from that poverty. And that's okay. It was okay for me. I don't, I'm not, I'm not ashamed of having 10 cars, you know? I, and I don't, it, I, I'll listen to people comment about it, but it's just, I don't know why. It's certainly not practical. Let's not even go down that route. <laughs> It's, although I did want to speak to you about cars, um, but not probably in the context that you were thinking. Um, but I, you did do the orange Lambo thing. Am I correct in thinking that? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and I was gonna, I was gonna make one other point. I was gonna make one other point. Go ahead. I, I did a college uh, graduation last year, and I, I was asked <laughs> to be the speaker, and I, I really enjoyed that. And um, and I was trying to think of like. What what can I talk about to the the kids? It was at uh, a two, it was actually at a, a, a residential two year college, which is very special. I think this is one of the only ones in the country. It's in Lewisburg, North Carolina, um, and the majority of the students are minorities, uh, Black American. Ninety uh, percent uh, of them are athletes. It's a really interesting interesting uh, complexion at the college. But I was trying to think about like. How, how could I speak for 45 minutes or so and, and, and get a message that will resonate with these kids and their families? Now, I was at, um, I was at Duke University. Um, I have an office there and I'm in this school uh, of innovation uh, for the medical school. And I was, I was walking and I saw a sign and the sign uh, was in this grassy field and, and it had a stick figure walking a dog. And the, the sign said, rule number one, pick up your number two. So it was a stick figure walking a dog, and it literally just was saying, please pick up your dog's poop. But that message really resonated with me. And I thought, what a great life lesson, right? Rule number one, pick up your shit. And then I started to iterate on it. Don't give me your number two. I already have my own number two I'm dealing with. Handle your number two. And it was the it was so much fun to explore. But again, it's, it's really something that, that really resonates with me even to this day. It's like uh, not enough people face the harsh realities of their number two, deal with their number two, not push their number two on someone else or reason away their number two or make believe their number two really doesn't exist. You know, I can go on and on and on about this number two, handle it. That's it. Handle it. It's very, it's, it's very, uh, it's empowering. Like once you start to really face the harsh realities of your number two, you can rise above it. You don't have to live in it. You don't have to experience it. You don't have to smell it. You don't have to talk about it. Just move on, flush it. This is the perfect segue into Bitcoin, <laughs> right? It, you know, that is, that's taking self-custody. Oh yeah. That's like self-sovereign like behavior right there. Um, yeah. And whether you're doing that, 
you know, again, to explore the the rabbit hole of whether you're going to do that, families listening, whether you're going to do that with education going forward after this pandemic and make a decision around how, you know, we're going to separate education from state. That's handling number two, right? That's handling exactly to use your analogy. And that's what it is. That's what Bitcoin is to money and our family's finances and our financial freedom. Beyond all the things that we have had to deal with, um, contemplate, endure over the last three months around the world, dealing with the COVID pandemic, I, I actually feel like the world has gotten a crash course in economics. They've been forced to think about or experience things that I don't think many people think about. We've seen oil go negative. We've seen the money printer uh, just go burr and nonstop. We've seen quantitative easing on steroids. We've seen money drops uh, that not only, they, they weren't just dropped on people, but businesses bailed out. We've seen viable businesses reduced to zero, their revenue switched off. We've seen shelter in place. I mean, this has been an amazing moment for everyone's education around economics, but also for Bitcoin. We went through the Bitcoin halving at the same time. I mean, two years ago, my partners, Mark and Pomp, and I contemplated what what could 2020, the halving, look like? Um, and we thought about like, oh, the, the stock market could be in a bubble and kind of pop. That was like the worst. We were just like, imagine if the stock market had popped right at the moment we're doing the halving. That would be great for Bitcoin. It would be really interesting. I mean, there was more than just the stock market popping. I mean, it's actually crazy, right? The whole world popped, revenue popped, jobs popped. I mean, we blew out every job we've created in the United States since 1933. Uh, unemployment went to like 30, 40%. I mean, it's like, these are crazy numbers, and the stock market's like ripping still because our government won't let it go down. They're just pumping money in. Zombie companies are being stood up and propped up. Um, what a great story for Bitcoin. So, And it's just like now we just have to wait. We just have to wait as there's more adoption, more infrastructure, more businesses built around the periphery, um, more entrenched belief, because there is a bit of like fanaticism around this whole Bitcoin movement. It's amazing to watch. It's amazing to participate in. Um, you know, I feel very fortunate to have been able to deploy, you know, $130 million into Bitcoin directly, professionally, and into a number of like, companies that I believe will change the world, like really will change the world. Um, and again, it's just the power of one. I'm just one person with two good partners. Yeah. And oh, there's so much to go down to unpack there. Meeting Mark and Pomp, um, you know, I've had Mark on the show. I've listened to Pomp's podcast forever. I've, I've heard you on um, many different podcasts and obviously followed you on your tweets. And it just seems like uh, like a real random like trio like how did that go down that's a great it's a great question so um when i sold fastmed in 2015 
uh, for the last time. So it went through three exits, one in 2010, one in 2012, and one in 2015. I had started doing venture investing and managing my own money uh, after my 2010 exit. So I was introduced to a lot of interesting people. Mark Cuban uh, followed me into a few investments. So he wanted to do an investment in my business in, uh, in Kenya. So I have uh, medical clinics in Kenya. It's called Penda Health. Um, and I also had an investment in a company that um, created a date rape detection nail polish. Uh, right. Uh, it was a technology out of NC State. So imagine this was the, the, the thesis was a, a girl or a guy could paint their fingernails, get a drink at a bar, put their finger in the drink, and it would detect six common date rape drugs that, uh, that are used to, uh, to hurt someone. Um, so it was an interesting business. Mark Cuban invested in that. I was an investor. There are a number of people that had invested. But uh, so a friend that worked with Mark Cuban um, in his family office knew Pomp and told me that Pomp was leaving Facebook and Snap and moving back to Raleigh, North Carolina, and that we should get together. So that was like 2015. Uh, I met with Pomp. He and I shared a lot of conviction around early stage venture, um, and uh, we decided to start a fund together called Full Tilt Capital. That fund we raised about $18 million. We invested that in um, 60 or so companies, um, 55 super early stage uh, things, um, agnostic really to um, like themes, just wanted to find great people who we believed could execute on great ideas. And we have investments in Imperfect Foods, uh, Jacket Pets, um, uh, Recover X, like technologies for ice and heat therapy, a number of really cool uh, early stage companies. We've had a few exits. Um, and then we did uh, a few late stage pre-IPO investments in uh, Reddit, Airbnb, SpaceX, Lyft, uh, for example. Um, we deployed all that capital for our first fund and had saw a few things happening. A lot of um, really, really smart people that we knew in the space uh, were moving into blockchain uh, businesses and were really attracted to uh, the crypto space. And we saw a lot of pro money going into ICOs. Um, around that same time, uh, Mark and Pomp had gotten together uh, and started uh, thinking about, you know, how we could work together potentially. Um, and um, the three of us over about a six month time period decided that rather than us raising the $25 million fund uh, through full tilt capital, we would do it under a, um, a partnership called Morgan Creek Digital. Mark had been a very successful um, fund manager for many, many years. He had managed the endowment uh, at UNC Chapel Hill uh, here in North Carolina. And he also worked in that same department uh, at uh, Notre Dame. Uh, so Mark is a super interesting guy in that he's got the gray hair of decades of institutional money managing. And then he had Pomp and I, which represent uh, different skill sets. You know, Pomp is, uh, he's got a, a very strong economics background, very good kind of um, 
viral marketing background, I would say. Uh, he has a superpower of, uh, to take really complex concepts and, and boil them down to digestible sound bites that resonate with people. And then I'm just an, like an operator. So um, I like to boil down the numbers of a business and the people and kind of time to make the donuts. How do we make the donuts? How do we make the donuts cheap? How do we reproduce the donuts? Like that's kind of what drives me. So the coming together of those um, skill sets, I think it's a very unique team. I don't see anyone in our space. You know, I would call us a top tier venture uh, fund uh, that is managing 130 million of AUM. I don't think there's a team out there like us. There may be an individual bright spot, but the depth of bench that we have, we've got, you know, 40 FTEs behind us. Um, and, uh, you know, the sky's the limit. We just got to raise a lot of money. <laughs> Could you just tell us what FTE stands for, for the listeners that are yeah, full-time employees. So it's right. not just Pomp and I working out of a Dunkin' Donuts or a Starbucks. That's what we were doing. That's what we were doing when we first started, right? We were managing money professionally with no office, no staff, just sitting in front of a computer, meeting people at, you know, Dunkin' Donuts. You can't meet with the public pension of Fairfax or the police pension fund at the Dunkin' Donuts. They may meet you for coffee, but eventually... They want to see your, your, you know, fund operations team and your chief compliance officer and your CFO. Like they want to see those things. So uh, beyond, beyond that, Mark brings so much more, but he had that as just table stakes. So how many FTEs, full-time employees? Yeah, I think we're, we have right around 40 FTEs. Uh, oh, man. Yeah, so it's a, yeah, it's a big shop, huge. right? It's a big yeah. shop. Now they're managing, you know, Mark's got, 15 years of funds, but you know, that it, it, it allows me to sleep well at night because I know reports are getting done and the taxes and the legal and all that stuff. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a real business. Gives you, um, some, some wiggle room to get on Twitter and, uh, and fire some people up and, um, you know, inspire people and due diligence and stay connected with the, the team. I'm not, you know, worried about our, you know, doing our finances and things like that. Yeah. Okay, so I promised you I wanted to talk about cars, and here's the link. I want to know how you and Pomp don't get into, like, toe-to-toe shouting arguments with Mark about Tesla, because he is such a bear on Tesla, and you guys are such bulls, and, uh, you know, here I am taking notes with my Tesla pen right here, which, you know... I got a free car with that pen. So (laughs) how does that? Yeah, it's such a great question and it's such a great observation. I mean, I have said, and Mark, we have a every Monday morning, all of the fund managers are together on a call. So he's got his China fund, all the different managers that are doing all all the different things. And, you know, they were hell bent on shorting Tesla. And I'm, I'm not there to comment on that, right? Our team is the digital fund team. So I'm sitting there and I'm listening and I'm listening. And I take my phone off mute at one point And I just say in the phone, shorting Tesla is like shorting humanity. And I really believe that. And I think 
Mark has and Pomp and and we we have this uh, mutual respect for each other. There's there's really no shouting. I would say that there's intelligent discourse and and a lot of you know you can say something but just back it up. So um, the proof is in the pudding. I mean, where's Tesla at now? If not a thousand dollars a share, it's close to it. Uh, the people who shorted it, they were eviscerated. I mean, it was literally the last scenes of Braveheart while the, they hooked your bowels to a horse and just ran it down the street. So I don't have to say much to Mark about that. They can keep trying to short it. But they're going to lose a lot of money uh, doing it. You know, he thinks SpaceX is a complete waste of money and time. No. You, I mean, again, how can you feel that SpaceX, like, the uh, the right sizing of space travel, right? The 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 final mile. It's like it's like Amazon.com doesn't work unless someone can bring the package to your house, right? That's what SpaceX is trying to do. It's trying to make space travel affordable, so we can go back and forth reliably, quickly, and cheaply. Once you do that, now you can start to do things in subspace or in space that are we haven't done before. So it allows for all this innovation, right? But if it costs a trillion, trillion dollars to go into subspace, you can't build a business on that. Um, and this is how the conversation would go. If you were Mark, this is how I'd be talking. And then Mark would, <laughs> Mark would educate me. And we would maybe <laughs> agree to disagree. I mean, super smart, literally, he could be telling you something right now that you know is absolutely false, but he has a great capacity to take you back to the, you know, 2000 years to support his argument. Yeah, it's, um, you know, and I've listened to all of those guys beat the same drum. You know, Grant Williams is another one um, on, on Real Vision. And I'm just like sitting there thinking, you guys are so smart, but you're missing like the, I don't know, it was, like, it was just like a... Well, they think he's a fraud, first of all. So they, they don't buy into... You know, is, is the man intelligent, right? Is he building a viable business? Is it all propped up by subsidies? They don't understand why Solar City. What? what they, it's it's too confusing, right? But it's easy to understand if you just step back, right? What he's mm -hmm. doing is he's got power generation, solar, power storage, Tesla, SpaceX, boom, communication you know, using cheap power. He's got, he's just building this kind of this 3D chess model while some people think of it as like Elon Musk likes checkers. It's just to round this out. We don't want to go on about Tesla for whatever reason on a Bitcoin podcast, but like the glaring mess I saw from everybody on Wall Street and whoever wanted to throw their, you know, two pennies into the ring, they were pricing it as a car company. That was it. They were blinkered. And therefore missing everything else. Yeah, and they and they thought when he would drip these moments out, like, oh, we're going to make autonomous taxis. Oh, he's just throwing stuff out to support, you know, his stock price or he's being provocative. No. No, he's not. I mean, think about what he's doing. He's got the most autonomous thing going. Like, I, I'm... Kind of, I think it's kind of cool watching a rocket go into space. But what's really cool is watching the rockets land oh, on no. the autonomous drone ship. I mean, dude, how are you <laughs> not entertained? 
Are you not entertained? <laughs> I mean, this is like crazy. You know, you can't even drive down the street without rear-ending someone. Literally, it's, it's, this dude is practicing Mars landings in subspace. Oh, you know what I'm saying? Like, it's crazy. It, it's it's nuts. It's completely nuts. And when you see the Starlink, you see the Starlink fly, uh, satellites fly over, you're like, my God, is that Santa that just went across? Like, you know, that my kids. It, it, it sounds a bit cheesy and it sounds a bit corny, but... We're out there. We know when they're coming over now as a family, and we're out in the garden at 10.30, or we drive up to, like, um, just the top of the hill where we live. As a family, kids in their pajamas, that guy has us looking at the stars, and that's, like, unbelievable. It is unbelievable. It's inspiring. It's uh, it's a shame and unfortunate that he, you know, sent U.S. astronauts to the space station during a time that we lack focus, we're so distracted, everyone's so angry, we can't celebrate these human achievements, these extraordinary human achievements. We can't celebrate them together because we're so divided. So mm -hmm. sad to me. Again, uh, you know, 45 minutes ago, I started with that, how disappointed and frustrated and heartbroken I am by what we're doing to each other right now because this world is so devoid of love and compassion and empathy and caring and value and respect and tolerance. I can, I can go on and on with the words that we have lost our grip on. It's, it's really shocking to me. There's so much, so much human hating going on the last five, ten years. It's yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah, and 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 look at how the world's responded. There, there are these rules, and this is probably too complex a road to go down. But what happened to George Floyd was murder, and what happened to George Floyd could have been totally prevented, and this butterfly effect would have changed the course of our world in a big way. Because if you or I were that police officer, I'm pretty sure, and we've never met, but I think we have a lot in common, you wouldn't have sat on that man's neck for eight minutes and 40 some odd seconds. You wouldn't have done that. You wouldn't have done that because you were tuned in to a human being that may have done something wrong. There are rules of engagement. You are authorized to do certain things, but you wouldn't have killed him. I don't think so. And if you didn't kill George Floyd, how does the world look right now? We still have problems. We have an opportunity to solve them with peaceful discourse or intelligent discussion, right? We're not burning down the world right now. The power of one, one man's decision, one man's hate, one man who devalued another man. It's just, it, when does it end? When does it stop? When does the media stop provocative headlines and spoon feeding us hate? And just trying to like get my pulse going or get me angry because we need a new hot take. I'm, I'm just tired of it. So my Twitter feed has turned into like uh, uh, Jason, the, uh, the, uh, the guy with trying to be inspirational. But I, that's how I feel right now. And, I hear you, man. and, I, and Bitcoin went up a lot today. I, I threw some of that on there too because I need it to. I need Bitcoin to go up because I'm banking on the fact that there are a lot of people who have wonderful views 
and perspectives that are going to be empowered. They're going to have power through financial power and options, and they'll do something with it. Like I'm banking on that. So like for me, when Lambo can't come soon enough for all the people that I'm talking to on crypto Twitter, because I want you to have the capacity to do something, not just yell, not just talk, but to actually go out and do something, donate money, build a business, buy something, force change in your community. That's what real power is. And it can come through attaining these assets. Go get them. Go get as much of it as you can. Because with great profit comes great opportunity. Let's go. Let's be profitable. Wildly capable. Let's go. Why not? Yeah, I'm not going to be embarrassed of it. That's why I'm doing it. I tell people I want to be a billionaire. I made my first $100 million. It's not enough. It's not enough. It's not enough. That's why I love watching... Uh, El Presidente from Barstools, Dave Portnoy. Why is he working so hard, right? He's, he's worth $100 million. Why is he going? Why is he working so hard? Why is he inspired like he is? I don't know. I think he wants to do something with his life. It's interesting to me. Yeah, 100%. And like w- what you're saying about the media is um, really kind of, uh, I-, I think this is a real tipping point. And the reason I say this is because... Um, you know, the way we connected, we connected uh, via um, uh, at Ryan Draycott on Twitter. Go follow him, people. Really, really cool guy. Um, the best memes in the business, fire memes. He's got his this, 800th follower. He wants more. It's like, do you feel this, though? I feel this right now, that, like, this, this, this meme war is, it's on. And mainstream media does not stand a chance. Against these guys, against guys like Ryan, against guys like, um, you know, self-banked, everybody else that is out there putting this thing together. There's a group, uh, a, a group of um, guys in the UK just banded together, calling themselves 21ism. They released that movie last week. There's going to be movies every other week. It's it's, it's amazing. And, you, and you're exactly right. They, JP Morgan can't win this meme war. They, it's just not it's not going to happen. Warren Buffett can't win this <laughs> meme war. The Fed can't win this mean more. I mean, it's uh, it's amazing, and we're very fortunate to have the the capacity and the ability to put out this content uh, free, near free, right? It just takes human time and energy, but it's nearly free to do. And uh, you you would have had to launch a tremendous campaign, financial campaign, through a marketing agency to get this these messages out just 15, 20 years ago. Now, you know, Reddit, Twitter, whatever, it's out there. Telegram, it's amazing. It truly is. And, you know... And Bitcoin's going to do the same thing, right? It's the exact same thing. It's, um, uh, from from my perspective, I had experience with M-Pesa when I was starting the uh, Penta Health Uh, clinics in Kenya, I was fascinated by SMS texting and the way you could move money with cell phones. As you know, uh, the infrastructure um, in most countries in Africa kind of skipped hard line telephones and even skipped banks, right? So they have far better, more stable Wi-Fi and internet uh, capabilities than we do even here in the United States. And 
Um, most banking happens that way. You leave some money at an M-Pesa terminal. It's not a bank, but it's a place where you uh, can uh, get electronic money and you can move that around. Um, it's fascinating to me. So that that was my first kind of experience with with digital money beyond my own online banking, which is total trash, but complete, <laughs> complete trash, complete trash. So Bitcoin rabbit hole story. How did Bitcoin enter your life? Because it's one of these stories that you're wealthy enough. You, you know, you've made it by all accounts. You're, you're successful as far as success is generally viewed by society. How did Bitcoin come and, you know, slap you in the face? Yes. Yeah, so when I sold FastMed for the last time in 2015, I started a waste to energy business. And that, that business was really just my second personal startup. We take trash tires, put them through a, a thoughtful technology in 11 hours, break down those tires into oil, steel, synthetic gas, and power uh, in the form of thermal energy. And you have some solid fuels as well. And through the evolution of trying to drive revenue on that business, the best way to, to monetize those commodities is to not truck them all over the place and like sell your oil in New York and sell your solid carbons at a power station or coal fire plant, sell your steel to a steel mill. It's to actually use it for parasitic load on site so you don't have transportation costs. And the best way to do it is to make power. Now, power in the United States is highly regulated. If you become a decentralized power generator, you can sign a long-term purchase power agreement with a co-op or a, or, a, um, or a power company, and you can sell them power. And it's a pretty good business. You can make $0.04 cents a kilowatt hour in some areas, $0.08 cents a kilowatt hour in some areas. And then you can become a peaker plant. Uh, and all a peaker plant does is it sells power at peak time. So imagine Friday, 5 p.m., everyone goes home from work, turns on their blenders to make a margarita, and power spikes. <laughs> and, and the power companies are obligated to provide you blender power. They don't want your power to go off. So they'll, they'll buy the power at whatever cost uh, it's being uh, sold for. Uh, and it can be very, very lucrative. Well, in 2015, at that same time, we were thinking about starting our crypto fund. Um, I thought and Pomp thought, wouldn't it be cool to make a cryptocurrency mine that was, that was using the power versus selling it to the grid for four cents a kilowatt hour? And, um, and we did that. So my first experience with crypto was mining Ethereum at my plant. So Pomp and I built... And we used um, also this kid, JP Barrick. You may know of him. Uh, He's been on the show. So he was just dropping out of college at that point. He had uh, just started his first semester. And um, yeah, I may be getting the story wrong, but he, he got in a lot of trouble mining, uh, mining Bitcoin and Ethereum in his dorm. So he hit a bunch of mining rigs underneath the beds uh, and he paid the students 100 bucks a month to run those computers. And uh, he, uh, he spiked the, the dorm's power and got called into the president of uh, NC State's, I think it was NC State's office. And, you know, he's a smart kid. He said, hey, uh, I'm, I'm a resident of the dorm. There's no 
there's no mandate that says that I have, I can't use power or what have you. And I think he just got tired of, uh, of, of the problems and left. But anyway, uh, so JP, myself and Pomp put together a pretty large, um, GPU mine powered off of PRTI waste power. And so I was mining Ethereum and as, as a lot of people, um, I think altcoins can be in like a, a gateway drug to Bitcoin. And, and it was for me. So Ethereum was my gateway drug. I got hooked on it. I started to learn about custody, mining uh, different tokens, exchanges, tax implications of trading. Maybe it would be better to hold a different token. What's this? It's Bitcoin. Oh, it's $1,000 a coin. Uh, let me let me start holding some Bitcoin, and we went through the whole kind of Bitcoin, Ethereum, Ethereum, a thousand, Bitcoin, twenty thousand, the eighty percent drop down, and we we've just been long term holders. We bought we bought and mined Bitcoin all the way up. Uh, I sold a little bit around seventeen thousand. I bought a few Mercedes uh, uh, cars, um, and. Uh, and then I bought all the way down from 19,000 down to 3,180. We bought all the way down. So just as I've, I, I just wasn't telling people or showing people that we were buyers, but um, I've been buying Bitcoin and uh, since 2015, aggressively. Is the is the tire, um, is that plant still operational? Is that still a business that uh, is going? Right. So it was going great. Until March 18th, when um, when the government shut off our uh, ability to run our business, so we had to send our our team home and idle the plant. Um, so right now we're uh, we're still mining, um, and uh, but we've we've scaled back, uh, trying to get through this. North Carolina is one of three states that's not handling COVID-19 very well. So right now it's Arizona, Texas, and North Carolina are going in the wrong direction in regards to hospital admissions and uh, COVID-19 cases. Man. So I'm hopeful that we, you know, kind of get this under control and we can turn the plant back on, start growing because we have a international expansion plans for that business, which it's a, it's a fantastic business. Yeah. I mean, there's waste tires are everywhere. I was going to say like, you know, just drive around. There's, there's piles of waste tires. It's a terrible legacy problem. It's why I did it. Um, and uh, we have a great solution. You know, you don't have to pre-process the tires, trash tires. Um, we put them in the machine and we make cool stuff that you can resell and reuse. And the tire's gone. That's cool. Very, very cool. What other businesses are setting you alight right now? That we, because I know you, Mark and Pomp, are cutting edge of seeing some investment. You, you must... You're probably getting sent decks every other day, if not ten times a day. How do you sift through it? Yeah, so uh, the the team. So we have a team. Um, we do all the due diligence ourselves. Uh, we're overwhelmed with opportunities. So um, I mean, we probably look at fifteen hundred to two thousand companies a year, um, and we've made thirty investments. So, you know, there's a lot of no's uh, in that, in those ratios. 
And is this just, do you focus purely on Bitcoin stuff or are you like, um, what, what's... In terms of Morgan Creek Digital, it's all blockchain stuff. So it's uh, infrastructure uh, investments around blockchain. So um, we don't do any fund to fund uh, stuff, really. Uh, we're just looking to get into the banking space, insurance space, custody space, chain analysis space, non-fungible tokens, crypto art, um, Bitcoin in particular, mechanisms to do transactions as efficiently, as cheaply, uh, as securely as possible. So, you know, th things that are really exciting, like I, I love the work that Jack Mahler is doing at Strike. So if you get a chance to look at that, I mean, this kid came up with a solution that's amazing. You, you literally can make a transaction anywhere in the world to anyone and you're going from your native currency to their native currency. They don't know that or have to experience the, um, the volatility of Bitcoin, but it actually is going through Bitcoin and then back to uh, their native currency. So it allows for the user end users to be agnostic to cryptocurrency. And that's really the evolution, right? You want to be able to go to Dunkin' Donuts, buy a cup of coffee and not have to declare I'm using a British pound or I'm using a Kenyan this. It's just confusing to people and you really can't do it. But imagine if you can, if you're using electronic or digital money that's moving through the Bitcoin network. I think that's freaking cool. Yeah, that's amazing. Just a super project. I love BlockFi. You've heard me talk about it a thousand times. BlockFi is simply uh, digital banking. So it's a, it's a platform that offers things that you'd find at your traditional bank interest-bearing accounts, custody, it allows for loans, um, and it also has an embedded exchange, which allows think, you to be very efficient. It also um, allows for a number of different uh, token projects for you to invest in. You know, I did a test over a year ago where I took $2.5 million of cash, and I went to the bank that I bank at, and I said, I'm going to put this in a money market. I want you to give me the very best deal you can. Um, I bank with you. Let's see it. So they said, Jason, here's the best deal we can. We're going to give you 250000 of FDIC protection. We're going to give you access to online banking. We're going to give you free transactions in person or at ATMs. And we're going to give you 0.2% interest on your money market. Who would invest in that business? <sighs> So then I went to BlockFi because we had made the investment and I said, all right, what do I get? BlockFi says, if you put fiat in the form of a, of a stable token, I picked GUSD because I know the Winklevoss twins and I'm, I'm not an investor in their project at Gemini, but it was the first exchange I used and I love what they're doing. Uh, Zach and Flory told me they pay me 8.6% APY guaranteed for 12 months and give me liquidity on that money. And 95% plus of it is actually custodied by Gemini, right? Which GUSD is audited by a third party. They have insurance behind it. So there's some, uh, some redundancy and third party observations. It's not, you know, Zach and Flory YOLOing with my two and a half million dollars of GUSD. They actually have some structure. There's accountability. It's, it's licensed. It's here in the States. If I don't like something, I can call Zach and say I don't like something and he'll answer. Like those things give me comfort. So I run that off for a year. 
I look back at my money market that I got from my bank after fees and all those wonderful things they owed me or offered me, I made $5,000 on my money. I then went to BlockFi and looked at what I had there, same $2.5 million, made $215,000 in interest. $215,000 in interest. So look, handle your shit. You know, mm. If you have some money, some cash, don't DM me and say, hey, uh, I have $100,000. What's something I can do with it? Well, while you're waiting, maybe get 8.6% APY on it because that's better than you're going to do in the stock market. Not this stock market where stocks only go up, right? Because the money printer is just Boeing, you're in trouble. Here's some money. You know, uh, American Airlines, you need some money. Like, I don't even know, like, what is money? It's just crazy what's happening. So maybe you do buy all the airlines and all the, you know, cruise liners. I don't know. That's not my game. But if you want a pretty conservative money market type investment that has liquidity and has accountability and third-party audits and gets 8.6% APY, that's not dumb. That's what a smart guy does. It's so hard to sell to people. Um, and we'll get to that. That's a question I want to ask about um, what you, Pump, and Mark face when you're, when you, you know, um, going into family offices or um, funds and, uh, you know, invest investment houses, whatever. But just to close out what we were talking about here, um, at the time of recording in the last week or, yeah, in the last week to 10 days, there's been a bit of um, weirdness surrounding BlockFi and uh, a potential a potential breach of privacy. Uh, what's the word on that? Are you can you expand on that? Can you like put listeners at ease and um, give us like a, an inside scoop? Yeah, of course. So this was an employee that had broken protocol and was using their personal email as their two-factor authentication, and they were simported. Um, the attack vector was through the two-factor authentication of their email. And then once the attack, uh, the attacker or hacker got in, they pulled the classic, uh, give me a Bitcoin or asking their email contacts for Bitcoin. It's just like really low end. So it, it could have been a lot worse, but that's what happened. It took 30 minutes or so for the BlockFi security team to shut it all down. They recognized it, shut it down. And the damage was that the person wasn't able to get any Bitcoin, never saw the financial side of BlockFi, but did get access to a marketing list that had some demographic information. I'm not sugarcoating that. That is, that is a, a, a breach. Uh, but it's not a reportable breach because this information was um, was at the level that uh, there were no financial penalties, there was no money lost, and I and they reached out to those people who were affected. It it definitely resonates with me, so I don't want people to think that you know I minimize these things in any way. If I would have had that same data breach in healthcare, where protected medical information was extracted through my electronic medical record, it would have been millions of dollars of penalties. Um, I would have had to pay for uh, like uh, these, these like security ID programs to protect 
people from hacks, et cetera, or for any fraud against their accounts. So, um, you know, I called Zach. We had a discussion about it. I felt very comfortable with what happened and the, the steps that he's taking to continue to secure the business. That, that makes me feel good. And this isn't just me telling you I feel good about it. That same day or those days thereafter, I bought hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of Bitcoin through BlockFi on his system. Uh, I've had no issues. Um, so that, that's the scoop. Thank you very much, man, for being so uh, so open. Um, just because you know, I'm not a customer of BlockFi. I I share the same surname as Zach, but that's about uh, as far as that goes. Um, so you know, I'll look. Um, Businesses go through growing pains, you know, and this this business uh, banking in particular, uh, especially um, that it's so new. Uh, th- there's a lot to learn. Like I've been. I've been supported eight times. You know, I've lost millions of dollars on my own journey since 2015, learning about security. And I'm no expert, um, but I work with the FBI. I work with, um, you know, folks who are deeply invested in security. Um, I intend to hold hackers accountable for committing crimes because if, if this is a crime without punishment, it's just uh, a free-for-all. And those who commit these crimes, um, they'll be held accountable. And, and hopefully technologies and systems around uh, privacy and protection will get so robust that you know, people are safe. Most of these hacks are user error. I, you know, they're, they're not uh, systematic breakdowns. This was an employee who was not acting um, uh, according to her protocols. Okay, and, cool. and my hack was out of, you know, uh, naivete five years ago. You are talking to um, other investors, family offices. Uh, I, I, I believe that's what you do for, 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 for the fund. You and, yeah, yeah you're, raise, right, raising okay. money. Yeah. How difficult is that to to get across I, I don't want to use the word pitch because no one should ever pitch bitcoin you don't need to pitch bitcoin i think there's a dirty i think pitch is a dirty word um in, in i think it's a legacy business term how do you it, it must be so difficult because there's a lot of old money in these places that is tied up in stocks and bonds and you know like legacy financial assets like what's the strike rate and are you seeing is the is the worm turning I, I'm just trying to get a feel for what's going on, like in in like, because the, generally these people holding these decisions, even though if there's a young fund manager, there's probably a aging board of directors, right? He's got to then go and get, even if he buys into what you Pomper Mark is saying, that it, that's not just the sign of that. Yeah, you know, uh, I I would I would frame it in that it's a super uphill battle. Um, it takes a tremendous amount of education. And you're competing for a pie. The pie is the stocks, bonds, currencies, and commodities. And each fund has an asset allocation, uh, their guidelines. So you're competing for a very small slice of you know that pie. And that can be a great curse or it can be to your advantage, right? Because you're talking about small numbers. You're trying to get 1% to 5% of their high-risk kind of bucket, you know, where they're they're willing to take a zero potentially. 
So what we've done is we've tried to go out and talk to forward-thinking fund managers about their sharp ratios and how taking on the risk of putting money into this asset class can have an outsized return on the upside, but actually limit your downside. Uh, and then we've constructed our portfolio in such a way that 70% of the investment is in equity positions and companies that we believe are fundamental for this to succeed. And up to 30% of it is in Bitcoin. Oh. So that's the structure of our fund. Then we go out and we try to impress upon those fund managers or investors that we don't want all of your money going into this space. We want a very small percentage of it. It started off as like our get off zero campaign, which was just, you know, commit 1% of your AUM into the space. And we've moved that number up slowly as we've shown success, right? Because we don't have a lot of, of history to rely on. We have 12 years of Bitcoin's performance, and then we've only been running our funds since 2017. So we're waiting for performance. Um, and where we are right now, we're, we're kind of playing two games at once. One is we're farmers, making sure that the seeds that we planted actually grow into the the produce that we said we were going to produce, right? That's our obligation. Two, raise more money so we can plant more seeds. The raise more money to plant more seeds is really hard in an environment where no one's traveling, no one's taking meetings, COVID-19, economic disaster, all stocks go up. You know, this is, it's wild. Um, so we're still trying to, to raise capital. We're still taking meetings. We've got a big announcement coming up, actually, um, I would say in the next two weeks uh, for Morgan Creek Digital, which I'm super excited about, um, which will show that we've maintained momentum. But there's only a few of us out here that are actually raising any material money uh, in the space. So mm, that's probably not good. I wish there was 100, 100 different funds that were raising hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, I, I, I think that those that are raising money right now are more re-ups. So there, there are companies that have a long history of raising lots of capital. They're raised, they're re-upping money into this space. Uh, I'm not sure that the new capital inflows are that great right now. Um, but the, the proof is in the pudding. Um, Satoshi created the most amazing non-marketing marketing event in history for a business and that's the having because it really like i kept saying it's priced in like i got i would have debased people the having's priced in it's the most known thing that could be known if you're interested in bitcoin how is this going to be some event that causes rocket fuel to ignite and, and bitcoin launches into all you know a new new all-time high no nothing will happen actually the price is going to go down that's what I kept telling people. And they're like, no, it's not priced in. It's not priced in. All future halvings are priced in. I said, well, I don't want to get too far ahead. I'm just saying that this halving's priced in, right? Because four years is a lot of time to cover. But once we get through this halving, the next one's priced in too. It's, but it's priced in. Um, there's going to be minor capitulation and then a second minor capitulation because some are going to hold on, some are going to uh, are going to fold before the having, some are going to run off the cliff, uh, depending on where the price goes. But the having is really a non-event; it's just a news event, a big news event, um, and it's and it has a, a huge effect 
for the network. Not, I'm not minimizing that. I'm just talking about bringing new people to Bitcoin. We had some people that were speculating uh, beforehand, and, and here we are. I'm waiting for all the things that I know that are mathematically going to happen over the next four years into 2024 that drive the price up. This thing either goes to zero or it does what we think it's going to do. What plan B is speculated in terms of S2F and S2FX. I actually think those are really great models. Like I, 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 I use them all the time uh, to underpin some of my decision-making. That's why I don't mind. Like if I buy Bitcoin at 10,000, 4,000, I obviously buy more Bitcoin if I buy it the same amount of money at 4,000 and 10,000, but I don't mind doing that. You know, I call myself the DCA champion of the world because I don't see anyone else DCA and like I DCA. Bring it. Show me. The DCA champ. <laughs> so the reason I asked that question about like the, uh, the investors and stuff, um, because we've been seeing a lot of noise recently about like the – the, the volumes going into Grayscale um, Bitcoin fund. To me, that's a red flag that there's like traditional investment money coming in. No? Like, what, what, what do you think? No, I, and I may, I may be misunderstanding your point. Traditional money coming into Grayscale or into Bitcoin or into, into blockchain-specific businesses is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. And someone grabbing... 3%, 5%, 10% of all of the available Bitcoin. Don't, don't get worried about that either. That's a good thing. Um, but here, here's what I unpacked recently in my own mind. I don't know if this is right because I hadn't gotten into the details. But I had thought that Grayscale was buying all of the available Bitcoin that was being mined post-having, like that they were buying it all. And buying, mm. buying all of the mined Bitcoin and then needing to go to the market to buy more. So in event in the, you know what what was what was superficially apparent was that there was one group buying 900 bitcoin a day plus and had sustained that since the halving because that's what the numbers were telling me. What I think has really happened is that people have realized that there's a mechanism to capture the, um, the uh, let's see, is it the preference? You, the, uh, you, you're paying about $11,000 in GBTC for a $9,500 Bitcoin. And if you, if you actually pledge your GBTC shares to Grayscale for six months, you can capture that upside, that that difference in price on your exit. So I don't think Grayscale is actually buying the 900 Bitcoin a day plus some, but people are making in-kind investments into Grayscale in a pretty big way. They're moving thousands and thousands of Bitcoin into their great into Grayscale versus holding them as what I would call stranded assets. So maybe you don't feel comfortable putting some of your Bitcoin in BlockFi and getting 3.2% APY on it. You're getting nothing on it. You're actually paying for custody. Rather than paying Coinbase 20 bips in custody, you move it to Grayscale, custody it there, and actually gain 
in the premium that Grayscale charges every time you come in and out of it. I think a lot of people are doing that. A lot of institutions, a lot of whales, um, a lot of uh, high net worth individuals. You know, I, I moved my whole self-directed IRA to Grayscale and put it all in GBTC and pledged it into this program. So it's staked, essentially. It's a staking mechanism for six months where you capture the premium uh, after six months and can roll it back in. So every six months, if there's this premium, you're actually gaining the arbitrage on Bitcoin. I think that's pretty cool. Man, that makes sense. Yeah, that's why there's this huge inflow. It's not all just mm. buying 900 Bitcoin a day, but actually uh, people um, in kind investing in Grayscale. Do you see that blowing out then, the ARB? Like, um, and for listeners... Um, that might not be uh, like clued in on basically what you're saying is if you can buy a physical coin for like right now, like nine and a half thousand dollars time of recording, give or take, if you put nine and a half thousand dollars into grayscale, you're probably getting like 0.89995 of a Bitcoin, for example, you're not getting that full Bitcoin. But if you hold it long enough, the, the gap when, when you come to sell, through GBTC, through that Grayscale Bitcoin Trust, that arbitrary price move, that do, do you think it widens? You, if, if there's this much inflow coming in? Yeah, look, it's it's sometimes at about 30% premium. What? It's about 30% wow. premium. Now, there are things that could take away that premium. You know, if we have other mechanisms other than GBTC, to uh, to go into it'll kill the premium, but is I I, I feel like that premium is probably safe uh, for twelve to eighteen months. This is where this is where the Wall Street guys will look because they're too lazy to take self custody and they're not going to get it. Yeah, like look, I get in these arguments with like Jameson Lop uh, and and folks who you know want to use cold storage. There, there's no one. Maybe there are. But there's no one that's going to put a hundred million dollars on a ledger and have you know their seed phrase on a piece of paper, and you know just think about what we're saying right now. They're going to want professional third-party custody that has a trust that if everyone associated with that account gets blown up in a plane, the person who is rightfully entitled to that money can show up and get their Bitcoin. It's not going to be locked in a hundred different safety deposit boxes across the world. That sounds silly, doesn't it? Or am I missing mm. something? And as the market matures and Wall Street does come in and you've got the hot shot 28-year-old sitting on a trading desk, he doesn't even care about Bitcoin. He's getting paid in fiat. He doesn't care about Bitcoin, but it's his job to sit on the Bitcoin ARB desk. And he will be ARBing in and out all day long in hundreds of millions. And this is a market that is coming to us. And I don't think people are ready. No clue. They have no mm. clue. But that, that's why I'm, I'm more compelled right now because there are people that hold Bitcoin and we know, you know it's public, like how much people own and we know where, what's moving around. That's why I'm more compelled to work on people like, what do you do after you're successful? Because you're probably either going to luck into this, 
you know, because of timing or maybe it's not luck, you know, through intent, active intention, investment, you own Bitcoin. What are you going to do with an amazing potential that you're going to have? Because I've seen it happen before. I've seen this before. In 1994, I saw it happen with the Internet. I saw people become wildly wealthy. I just didn't have any money at that time. I was still in school, you know, uh, but now we're here and you can own a very small amount of Bitcoin and it can be worth a lot. What are you going to do? Like, how are you prepared to handle that? You're going to piss it all away like people who won the lotto or are you going to change the world? Like, I want to touch enough people to challenge them to do something of significance with that power that they're about to get. It's funny bringing that up because I have an interview with, um, and at time of recording this, I'm about to release the interview that I'm referencing with um, a cognitive behavioral psychotherapist all about like, are we ready for this? Like, you know, the the people that have been in the space uh, for a little while and might suddenly become uncomfortably wealthy. It seems like a really weird thing to say, but you know, my hope is, and I'm sure your hope is the same, amazing things are going to happen because, you know, I believe, and I'm sure you believe that the people in the space that have already, you know, that might be set up for this thing, care. Think about Just this. give a fuck. Yeah, like think about right? this. I mean, right now, there are lots of people that have Bitcoin, fractions of Bitcoin. Maybe they have two Bitcoin. Let's just say there's a lot, a lot, very, very many people that have two Bitcoin. We've, we've thrown around numbers that Bitcoin goes to a million dollars. So that means there's a lot of people who are just here speculating that took $20,000 and turned it into $2 million. $2 million is actually enough money to retire on at 50, 60 years old and draw $10,000 a month for the rest of your life. It's actually $1.65 million is the target. If you have $1.65 million in cash, can generate about fifty, sixty thousand dollars, seventy thousand dollars in the most conservative investment vehicles. You can live like very, very well. Two million dollars. But just imagine that you you put twenty thousand dollars to get to two million. So you didn't risk a lot. Timing, you know, the best investments you're just in early. You put a lot of money in, and that happens. Like, are you really equipped to deal with that? Because what if you're 20 years old when that happened? What if you're 25 or you're 30? You know, you. I'm worried that those people, like the crypto millionaires, act like sports guys who hit it rich. 18, 19, 20 years old. The first thing they do is, is make some stupid purchase, which may be okay. I don't know. Again, do you? But I, I'm, I'm hopeful that that in this space, people have been driven to think more deeply about social issues. And that's what brought you here so that you're, you know, hopefully you'll do something, you know, something of permanence, something of relevance and, and something that lifts up people. Uh, I hope that's what you're fighting for. Cause that's what I'm kind of doing. Like I want to see this thing succeed because I want you to succeed. You know, I want you to have financial freedom. I want you to have the ability to do great things. And this is uh, like almost like a life hack to get there. It really is, man. Yeah, because like if I brought if I brought your listeners SpaceX right now, ninety nine percent of them wouldn't be allowed to invest. It'd be against the law. You know what I'm saying? 
Like it's a, yeah. the whole game is against you. Like even if I was yeah. sharing, like, hey, I've got I've got some uh, stock offering for SpaceX right now. Couldn't do it. Private company. You got to be an accredited invest, investor, you right? Investor. And you got to have like right. Whatever you have to have millions of dollars or hundreds of thousands of dollars of income, and you've got, I, I can go on and on about how the barrier is set up for you not to succeed. But here we are talking about buying Bitcoin, which I think is a better investment. You know, I think it's a better investment, and you, gets to the moon quicker than SpaceX. It may make it. It may get to <laughs> Mars before SpaceX. That <laughs> you know, again, I, I don't want to ramble, but I, I think it's 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 an amazing opportunity for everyone to participate you just have to decide you just have to there's there's really very little barriers to entry you just need money even a small amount of money to buy satoshis you you can do it and the dca on ramps now are just so easy they're so so easy like and bitcoin only companies that are doing this are just you know they're awesome yeah i, I totally agree i totally agree so um you you can come up with every excuse in the world to not use BlockFi, to not buy Satoshis, to not buy a Bitcoin, to not, you know, we can go on and on. I'd rather not do that. Like, let's go. Today is the day. Sacrifice a little. Sacrifice just a little bit and do it. Take care of number two. That's right. Handle your number two, right? You know that the world is going to be a shitstorm, right? A perpetual shitstorm. Grab some joy, take this opportunity because it's going to give you options. And when the shit hits the fan, all you want is options. You don't want to have to sit there and take the shit head on. You don't want to. And that's what rich people, wealthy people, people with capacity, they have options. They just tell you go stand in that shit storm because I'm not going to do it. I don't have to do it. What made them so special? I guarantee you, five years, 10 years ago, they made some decisions, real hard decisions, so they didn't have to stand in that damn shit storm that they're making you stand in every hour while you're punching your clock. You don't have to do that. You can choose something different right now. You really can. And I don't have very many suggestions that get there as quickly as this could do. That's what scares me. Right. Because there's a certain kind of learning and humbling and experience you get over that long haul. Like for me to sit here and talk to you like this took me 20 years, 20 years of grinding to get here. Right. This could happen very quick. I worry. Now, are you an 18 year old who just signed a 20 million dollar contract playing the NFL? You know, play soccer. Do you know what to do? Are you going to avoid scammers and frauds and, and making bad investments and bad decisions? You're going to get hooked on drugs and party and YOLO and act like an idiot, you know, hurt yourself, hurt your friends. You know, all of those things are potential. And we all are, you know, in control of our own lives. I just want something different for you, something good. And that is Bitcoin, man. It's, it's that simple. I agree. Yeah, there's no debate here. All right. Well, Jason, we've been riffing for like an hour and a half. It feels like three minutes. It's like Lauren was still like here two minutes ago. It's just nuts. Um, I want to I wanna ask you the final question. 
I ask uh, everybody on on the podcast, although I've diluted it down now, if you had one red pill left to give, who would you give it to and why? Mm. Yeah, can I add some ingredients to the red pill? Go for it. Yeah, I'd give it to every politician on this planet um, and, and try to get their mind and hearts right on their job. They work for the people. We don't work for you. Right. We've we've totally lost it. I'm so again, I feel like I, I've been a bit negative on this this podcast, but I'm so disappointed in politicians today. They suck. They have all these perverted motivations. Uh, they don't seem to care about people. It's showing itself in the riots in the streets. It's time to wake up. Take the red pill and remember that you work for us. We elect you. And only through that process of election are you so, uh, you should be so grateful to have that responsibility, right? Don't look down on people now that you're the president or the prime minister or whatever the hell you are, whatever office you're in. Remember your duty. You're there as a servant leader. Serve the people. Listen to the people. They're hurting and they need, you know, they need your help because the only alternative to you not listening is to break glass. There's a lot of glass being broken right now. Yeah. Yep. Powerful words. Powerful words. Well, Jason, where can people come and find you and interact with you and learn more about you? Because uh, it's been a great interview. I really appreciate you taking all of this time to do this. It's been uh, it's been so much fun. So, um, yeah, tell the listeners where they can come and um, hang out. Yeah, it's been my pleasure. And uh, thanks for introducing me to your daughter as well. Uh, <laughs> good luck with homeschooling. Uh, you can find me at uh, J Williams FSTMED on Twitter. Yeah, I'm trying to get to 40,000 uh, 40, followers, maybe give away some Bitcoin. Uh, and I think that's how you met Ryan. Is that correct? That's right. He, he, uh, he won some Bitcoin. He's a great guy. Yeah, great guy. Like, you know, I. Uh, I used to give a lot of money to colleges and universities, and I just decided that it would be more fun to uh, give the money directly to young people who are starting businesses or, you know, people all over the world. So I, um, I just find it to be more fulfilling from a philanthropic perspective. So I enjoy doing those Bitcoin giveaways. I don't care about what the blue check marks are saying that, you know, I'm trying to, uh, to get followers or they don't agree with me giving away Bitcoin. I, I don't care. Um, you know, for me, it's about, uh, it's a, a very cool educational moment. If you want to learn about Bitcoin, go buy Bitcoin or receive Bitcoin from me because you have to get a wallet. You have to have some kind of custody. You have to go through a process to, to learn about it. And, um, if that economic incentive drives you, it's a win-win for me. I get to How do, do you give it away? What, what, what's the, what's the premise? I've missed this. I... It's nothing. It's literally like I just give Bitcoin away. Um, and, uh, you, you know, could be small, could be, uh, you know, 0.1 Bitcoin, you know, I'm just, I want to, I want to make it big enough that there's some impact behind it. Um, you know, the last, uh, the last recipient of some Bitcoin was a young lady in the Philippines before that it was, uh, it was someone in Argentina, you know, I just, I could never have an opportunity to give at the level that I am now without Twitter and without Bitcoin, how could I send someone in Argentina, you know, a thousand bucks that I don't even that's know? Mad. Yeah, that's that's the power right there. That is the power of Bitcoin. Uh, 
Okay, man. Well, um, good luck uh, with um, with the Premier League. Uh, you know, do you have any predictions <laughs> for the British listeners? Unfortunately, it's probably a draw, one-one. I think. Uh, I think that. And which game is this? This this is Manchester United versus Tottenham. I don't okay. think that Jose Mourinho appreciated Ollie uh, patting him on the head the last time we won. <laughs> I think Jose is pissed and he's bringing it. Uh, I'd be happy with 1-1 and then let's get into it. A win would be great, but uh, I'm being very realistic. Jose's uh, he has been thinking about this game for a while. <laughs> well, Jason, thanks so much for your time. Uh, it's been great to get to know you and um, really appreciate uh, you know, sharing your insights and your knowledge and your personal stories and uh, your experience. Thank you so much, man. Hey, guys. Thanks for sticking around and, uh, and listening to this one. Um, I'm sure once you, got, uh, once you got into it, you didn't want to leave because uh, this one – this one just flowed. It was so nice just to uh, sit and chat with Jason. Uh, as with all the guests, to be honest, it's uh, I find each and every conversation uh, at the moment just gets easier and easier and easier to connect with these complete strangers that you know I've never met. Um, you know, I might have followed them on Twitter for a little bit, might have read some of their articles or listened to some of their podcasts, but at the end of the day, you meet cold, and within. A minute or two, you 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 just you gel, and I think this is something to be said for the space at large, and you know the Bitcoin community because, and I think anyone listening to the show probably would have picked up on on Jason's underlying message that you know we've got to come together, <laughs> you know, right? You know, now is the time that um, we've just got to like start putting our differences aside. And, you know, challenging the narrative, challenging the, you know, these, these systems that have been built up around us uh, and are put in place just to keep, keep taking a little from us, you know, what, what, whatever, whatever, whatever the angle is, whatever the system uh, that you find yourself is, it's there just to keep taking, just to keep taking, taking. And you know, what he believes and what I believe and what many other people in this space believe and probably the reason you're listening to this podcast, what you are slowly becoming to believe is there's another thing going on here. There's another there's another game to play and that game's Bitcoin. And I don't have to be a millionaire. I don't have to be rich. I don't have to be anyone of any sort of social standing or stature to start buying myself a bit of Bitcoin and testing this game out against this one that has been fake. Like you've not been failing the game that is in place that the game has been failing us. The system has been failing us and it's set up. It's set up that way. And there's another game to play. And, you know, as Jason was saying, you know, it's, it's easy just to dip into this other thing and um, learn about it. Like, you know, his analogy is take care of your own number two, right? (laughs) Um, We're conditioned not to. We're conditioned to be like so cozy and 
comfortable. You know, people don't want us out of our comfort zone. You, you're never taught that at school, right? You're never taught to stand up and shine. Teachers don't want that, number one. You, you just get beaten down if you're the one answering, asking questions all the time. You, you just become a pain in the in the classroom or challenging the narrative. You know, you're slowing down the message. You're slowing down the curriculum. You, you, you become a thorn in the side. And God forbid you should, you know, start outshining, you know, your peers. They'll, they'll tall poppy syndrome. They'll cut you down very, very quickly. And um, nothing good comes from being outside of the comfort zone, right? That that's what is like kind of hardwired into us. And if if buying Bitcoin or learning about Bitcoin takes you just a little bit out of your comfort zone, and it will. Oh, it will. That's what it's designed to do. But once you are out there and you taste it and you realize, man, like I just I just took a little bit of their money their fiat, their system, and I just placed it into a different different system, and that works. That's fine. That's cool. I can do that. I'm, you know, that, that, that's perfectly legal, and now I've got a little bit of skin in the game, and this other thing that's going on is now going to force you just to start learning a little bit more about it and listen to a few more podcasts, read a few more books, read a few more blog posts or articles and um, start taking self-sovereignty over your financial future and your family's financial future. And ultimately, what many of us believe here is, you know, gaining your financial freedom. And that's pretty powerful. And the only way to do that in the legacy system is to learn about the stock market Learn about investing in, you know, bonds and uh, commodities, um, placing your money with investors that are going to take uh, 2% of your cash on the way in and then 20% of the cash on the way out, even if they've lost it. Like, you know, even if they return you a loss, they'll still take 20%. <laughs> or you can just start putting five to ten pounds, dollars, one, Rimnimbi, yen, zloty, krona, whatever it is that you have a week into this different system and start educating yourself around it, start meeting people, start building um, you know, a little network on Twitter and getting into some rabbit holes. There's nothing... I don't think richer that you could do for your, you know, for you or your family um, going forward. Um, and and you know, Jason was it, you know, talking about that exact thing, thinking about his background, uh, you know, growing up as the way he described, and then going through uh, like this this huge, monumental, life changing exit from a company that he built from the ground up that uh, netted him, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars. You think, yeah, that's all great. That's life sorted out for him now. That's not the case, right? It's never the case. You don't just, like, you, you cannot understand, like, the challenges that itself brings. And uh, it's really, it's very interesting. It, you know, it's, um, 
And I talked about this with uh, Dr. Sylvia Buett um, on on another show as well about uh, the psychology behind this, which you know all of this all of this fascinates me. But uh, I will stop my ramble, and uh, I look forward to the next episode. Really, really enjoying um, all of the people I get to speak with. Really enjoying the interaction on Twitter. Some of the memes at the moment are on fire. You know, Jason and I had touched on this in um, in this episode, and you know, this this is just a time of recording, a time of release. Goodness knows what might have been released um, since then, but keep an eye out for twenty um, one ism. Uh, this is going to be something very, very uh, special, uh, I think, um, in the world of memes. Um, seeing a little bit of what they're doing, and uh, it's really very, very exciting. This. This is next level stuff. So I'll leave it there. Uh, I look very much forward to the next episode. And uh, I really appreciate um, those of you who are kind enough to, to leave the reviews. I've, I've seen them propping up now on the, on iTunes. Um, I've never asked. Uh, this isn't a shill for that. I, I, this is a heartfelt thank you for those people that are doing it. Really appreciate it. Um, always appreciate the the retweets uh there's uh there's a <laughs> there's a german account that is retweeting in german about this podcast and um that's amazing i i really I, for those for those people in um non-english uh speaking countries that are listening to the podcast i appreciate your support uh, I hope um, I hope it's all clear enough for you guys, and uh, and the message is getting across. Uh, thanks so much, and um, yeah, look forward to the next episode, guys. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.